the Motivation Station. At Motivation, our vision is to create a place where transformation is a positive personal and social experience brought to life through movement and community. Through connectivism, we can share knowledge and make system level changes. Thank you for connecting and joining us today. We will be wrapping up this episode with questions from our group. Stay tuned. Welcome to Motivation, everyone. This morning, we have the pleasure of talking with Tracy Fouts and Greg O'Keefe. Welcome to the Motivation Station. This is Nate, Kim, Ned. We've got Darby, Mike Q, Paul Clough, and we're here with Tracy Fouts and Greg O'Keefe. We're going to learn a little bit about these guys who are some uh, as amazing Parkinson's Warriors, I guess is the best description I could think of for these two. They do some crazy adventures, and um, that's really what we want to dive deep into with these guys today. But beyond that, we want to learn about the mindset behind what makes a person do those type of things. So why don't we start out with you, Tracy, uh, Mr. Fouts, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of your background and tell us a little bit about yourself. I uh, grew up in the Las Vegas area, um, had a dad and uh, took us on a lot of adventures. I had nine brothers and sisters or had nine once passed on. And uh, I look back on growing up in the Vegas area and we've been close to a lot of places for a lot of adventure activities. And I've had the fortune of being able to do a lot of backpacking, rock climbing, water skiing, kayaking, cycling, and hiking. And um, I just took it to a different level than some of my siblings. I still try to stay real active. And uh, this Wednesday, I was in the middle of the uh, Mormon Mountains Wilderness Area in Lincoln County, Nevada, with a friend who's recovered from a stroke. And we push it and have a good time doing it. So I see that you're wearing a motivation shirt. Um, you're you're a member of the the motivation brain blast group. Is that right? Yes. How are I, you like? How are you liking that training with Darby? I have found that I probably should do it more, but I'm so busy I don't get in but one session a week. And uh, the the movement is different than cycling and hiking, where you're you get in a rhythm on those and you just keep a constant pace with the uh, diverse movements and switching things up, I find I, I feel less symptomatic after a good session. Heck yeah. So um, do you take any of the sound principles that we work on and take that into your climbing? I know that they can, uh, Darby and I were talking about this recently, uh, using different sound cueing techniques, like say for reaching or whatnot. Do you, do you find yourself cueing yourself up a hill, basically? Yes, and uh, sometimes... Just stopping to rest is such a challenge to get back up again. I find myself doing the one, two, three, one, and just the sound helps me get going again. That's awesome. So we've also got Greg O'Keefe here, um, and we'll bounce back and forth between the two of you and let you guys have a conversation amongst each other too. Um, Greg, why don't you chime in here and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Go Packers. Uh, my dad relocated to Memphis, Tennessee when I was eight. So I spent most of my time growing up in Tennessee. Um, moved to Las Vegas 14 years ago and been diagnosed for seven years. 
Um, when I was younger, I was in the Navy for about six years as a nuclear propulsion officer. Served on the Enterprise for a couple of years. Um, got a black belt in Taekwondo. And after that, uh, after I got in the Navy, I did some indoor uh, co-ed soccer and some outdoor co-ed softball and stuff like that. Um, after I got diagnosed and learned about the value of intense exercise, I started going to Rock City Boxing and uh, spending more time at the gym. Eventually started doing Spartan races. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Spartan races. Can you tell us what that involves? The Spartan race is a trail run with obstacles. And uh, they have a lot of different formats. They have some trail runs that are just plain runs. They have stadiums. But the three classic Spartan races are the sprint, the super, and the beast. And if you do all three of those uh, in a calendar, calendar year, you get a trifecta. So the sprint is um, a 5K with 20 obstacles. The super is a 10K with 25. And the beast is a half marathon with uh, 30 obstacles. And then they have ultras and things like that, which I, I don't do. Um, but I did the Las Vegas Sprint and Super this past March. Um, in the past, those have been over Mesquite, but this year they're actually in Las Vegas, or, I mean, the Henderson, which is great. Uh, and I've got a beast yet to do, and I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to do it. So I'm looking at maybe Dallas in October, um, October, November, December, sometime at the end of the year. So uh, last year I broke my leg in September, and I'm trying to recover from that. And I want to give myself a little more time to not only recover, but get back into shape and do some more running. Wow. So you were dealing with recovering from a broken leg. You've got Parkinson's disease. You said you were diagnosed seven years ago. Is that right? Yeah. So April of 2016. Okay. And now you're doing these incredible Spartan races and looking to do the beast. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, they're, uh, uh they're fun. I do them kind of slow. There are some incredible athletes, and those guys, are, those guys and girls are fun to watch. But uh, I just want to finish. Do you find that your your Parkinson's makes it more difficult for you during those races? What how how does that play into what you're doing? It does make it more difficult. Uh, so I guess the the big difficulties are uh, running, just my, my ability to run fast and far is not what it was, uh, and then so some of the obstacles are, are difficult just because the weights are too heavy or um, one one of my weaknesses is uh, the, the monkey bars and the rings, and I have shoulder issues. Um, but I'm trying to get stronger, and hopefully someday I can do those uh, obstacles reliably. But uh, you know, if, if I don't do it, I can take the penalty lap or do the burpees, whichever applies, and uh, and just just finish. Sometimes there's uh, cramping issues. That's probably my number one Parkinson's-related problem. Uh, sometimes the, the tremor can be an issue. Balance is certainly an issue. Coordination, uh, all those things. Yeah. Greg, you know, uh, one of the things that I recognized my first couple of years after being diagnosed is so many people would say, I haven't done this since my diagnosis, or I haven't done that since my diagnosis. So I just love finding people who are doing new things and incredibly challenging things after their diagnosis. So the fact that you're stepping in and doing this with those additional challenges is just amazing. And I, I really admire that about you. Well, thank you. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, there are things I did before my diagnosis that uh, I haven't done just because um, I got, we, when we moved from Tennessee to Las Vegas, I suddenly was without my, my softball team and my soccer team. And I kind of sought out others, but uh, our focus was mostly on work. And we had two young children at the time who needed babysitters in preschool and, and so on. And now one of them going to be a senior in, in high school this coming year. And the other one is a freshman. So there's been a lot of um, demands on my time. For a while there, I was uh, I was pretty much just running for a hobby, and that was uh, 
about three or four years before my diagnosis. And I was getting up to, I wanted to run a marathon. I was getting up to about a 20 mile training run. And I started to get in symptoms, which at the time consisted of really bad cramps in my right foot. And um, it was a few years before I got to see a neurologist and didn't find out what it was. But um, yeah, it was just a matter of having not a, not a lot of time on hands. Um, but then after the diagnosis, I started going to the gym because I, I had to and really enjoy the gym. Uh, I love working hard, um, getting tired, getting sweaty. And uh, when you do that enough, you get in shape. And when you get in shape, you can maybe do some other things. Tracy, you mentioned that your whole family has been active, but you just kind of took it to another level. Can you talk about what that means for you, taking it to another level? Well, one example is uh, when I was 10, almost 11, my dad took us, me and my two brothers, up to the top of Mount Whitney, California, which is the highest point in the 48 states. And uh, I joined a club called the High Pointers Club, and I've since climbed the other 47 states in the 48 con contiguous states. And uh, that in itself was kind of an adventure. Mount Rainier in Washington was a, a good challenge. Mount Hood, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, all the Western states are pretty good challenges. Probably yeah. wasn't too challenging up in Kim's neck of the wood on, on Mount Arvon, was it? Well, that was a fun trip. Uh, some people do it in the winter on cross-country skis, but I was there with my son, and that was enjoyable. We knocked off Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan in one trip. Cool. That's cool. Was this all pre-diagnosis? No, um, the majority was post-diagnosis. I, uh, when I was first pursuing this, I thought, you know, I got to get these all done by the time I'm 30, 35, or I'm going to be too old. And uh, it didn't work out that way. But uh, looking back, I've had more extreme adventures on peaks and adventures than before I was diagnosed. I was diagnosed in uh, April of 2013, so it's been 10 years. And I think looking back, I was first showing symptoms in 2011. My dad had Parkinson's for 40 years and it's weird how you can start exhibiting symptoms, but you're in denial and you, you don't accept it until the doctor gives you that official diagnosis. So, so Tracy, maybe elaborate on the differences between climbing uh, with and without Parkinson's. You just are more cognizant of your balance. Uh, when uh, I was climbing Mount Rainier with two friends, we got to the top of the disappointment uh, cleaver and uh, I was getting a twitch, which I'd never noticed before. And uh, we talked to the guided group and the guide says, we're turning around. And I was, I said, we're locked in guys, we got this. The, it was cloudy and uh, you couldn't see well, but we had, my GPS was working well. And I was a little nervous because of the twitch, but I thought, you know, that's not affecting me. We'll keep going. And um, and when Wyoming, I was heading out with two guys to do the peak over a five-day backpacking trip. It's 50 miles round trip. There's glacier climbing. I brought all the gear I needed to be self-sufficient in case I couldn't keep up with them. They flew in. 
they uh, got concerned that we didn't have enough time for them to make their return flight. So they left me with some people we met along the trail who in turn left me, but I ended up doing it by myself. And uh, I uh, was very cognizant of my Parkinson's symptoms on the uh, high water stream crossings. They had an excessive amount of snow that earlier spring. And I knew if I lost my balance being by myself, I would be history. And uh, funny story coming out of Wyoming, I was uh, by myself working slowly down the hill. I had big blisters from my boots so that apparently your feet still grow even after you're an adult. But uh, these two young guys were wilderness rangers and they said, hey, how you doing? What, what you been up to? And I told them, they said, hey, that's great. And I was sitting on a rock talking to them. And this older, more experienced wilderness ranger came along and she said, how you doing? Ask me some questions. And then I answered him and she said, could you please stand up? And I said, okay. And it takes me a while to stand up, even at, every day. And uh, she said, what are you dealing with? I said, uh, I have Parkinson's. And she said, oh. I'm familiar with that. Um, well, you, where are you coming from? And I told her I've been to the top and she says, you are an inspiration. And I said, I don't want to be an inspiration. I just want to get the heck out of here. <laughs> that's, that's one of the more interesting things about you, Tracy, is that you do all these things and seek no recognition for them. These are all, you know, personal victories for you. And is, is there something about the isolation of the way that you exercise your chosen exercise modality as a lot of solitary moments in it. Does that kind of drive you? It uh, seems or? to. Yes. I like the solitude. I like to have someone along, but I'll often do it alone, but I'm being reminded by more and more people on a regular basis. That's not smart. And, uh, I have a friend that said, that's badass, Tracy. And I said, well, there's a fine line between badass and dumbass. And dead. Yeah. It's a fine line between badass and dead. Yeah. So have you ever done any marathons or anything? I've done some uh, bicycle uh, rides that are century rides, but I've never done anything on foot that's equivalent to a marathon. I did a rim to rim on the Grand Canyon where I got in 26 miles, which is about a marathon length. And, uh, I added some miles because I had to get to the top of uh, Battleship Rock since I was that close. And some of the people on the bus were thinking that Tracy's not very smart. You know, rim to rim's enough. You don't need to add miles to it. <laughs> what, what's the longest you've ever been in isolation uh, through one of your climbs? That Wyoming trip, because after those other guys uh, got up earlier, the, the hardest part about those long trips are making and breaking camp, preparing my food, my tent, taking care of the getting dressed and stuff. Once I get on the trail, I'm pretty competitive, but it's those little things that really slow me down. I had a trip planned two summers ago to do the John Muir Trail with my brother-in-law. It was our second attempt and uh, the state of California shut down the national forest so we could only stay in the national park of Yosemite and uh 16 days in the backcountry 148 miles mm -hmm. and uh to answer your question 
the solitude drives me, but I enjoy having someone along, especially now that I have Parkinson's. Yeah, uh, we got a question in from the group here um, that that relates, and and I'll ask it to you first, Tracy, and then Greg. I'd like to hear your your response as well. And, and it, it's around, or it, it covers how do you know with Parkinson's where your limits are? Um, how do you balance that physical challenge versus risk taking? I was thinking about that Wednesday when I was climbing up some rock faces. Clint Eastwood once said, a man's got to know his limitations. And uh, I thought, you can't exceed your capabilities. And your capabilities aren't what they used to be. And you have to remind yourself of that so you can get back home safe. I think about that a lot. And I find as I'm hiking and climbing, if I'm spending more time thinking about am I within my capabilities, then maybe I need to bring it back a notch. And uh, then I'll spend more time thinking about what I'm enjoying <laughs> instead of am I exceeding my capabilities. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Motivation Station. If you'd like to learn more about how to join our group, just visit motivationfoundation.org. Again, motivationfoundation.org. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the rest of the show. Greg, I, I know you've had some injuries uh, over the years as well. Uh, how, how do you find that line and know when you're going to cross it? Sadly, sometimes I, I don't know when I'm going to cross it, um, but I try to uh, push hard uh, without getting to the point of injury. And as you mentioned, uh, I've, I've messed that up a few times. Uh, it hurt my abdomen, my shoulder, my, my leg. But uh, as far as knowing where your limits are, um, I just push until I get the feeling that I shouldn't push anymore. And yeah, I've, I've done, I should probably pick up a Tracy for some hikes because I've done a lot of solo hikes that uh, may or may not have been wise. Um, but starting around 2019, I've been doing a solo uh, summit hike to Mount Charleston summit every year. And one thing I've noticed, especially on the weekends, is you're never really alone on the trail because there's so many people up there. Uh, on a Friday or any other weekday, I suppose it would be a little different because I, I went to, uh, Last summer with my brother on a Friday, and we went for hours without seeing anybody. I'm like on a Saturday, on a Saturday when there's a lot of traffic. But um, I've had some solo camping trips that were fun. Never as long as 16 days, usually just an overnighter. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to the boundary waters, boundary waters with my son for six days, six, seven days, six nights maybe. I had a really good time there. Um, but that was with a small group, maybe four or five people. So in the gym, um, I try to look for the good kind of pain, uh, the bad, bad, bad pain being injuries, good pain being muscle burn and exhaustion. But then out in the wilderness, you know, Tracy mentioned a river crossing. I did the uh, the Team Fox expedition to Mount Whitney back in 2019, and uh, was guided, which is great. But there there's some stream crossings, which to this day made me nervous just thinking about because I saw the people in front of me go, and I was watching them. And some of the easier ones had a, a branch that I could hold on to, for example. And some of the harder ones had nothing, but just a, a rock out in the middle of the, of the water. And I watched the people in front of me go, and they had to commit to this rock. And there's once you go, there's, there's nothing you can do except land on it and either keep going or fall in. 
if I fall in, there's there's nothing I can do. Uh, so the guy had me loose my pack just in case I could slip out of it. But um, I can't imagine doing that, that that kind of thing alone because uh, it was it was pretty scary even with a, a team there with me. Uh, maybe you mentioned that you had done some stuff with Team Fox. I know last uh, last fall, I think it was, you guys did the uh, Blue Ridge Mountain Run. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that and the people you did it with. Great bunch of people. Uh, I've never done a relay race before that I can think of. So this is the Blue Ridge Relay uh, from Grayson, something other state park in uh, Southern Virginia down to Asheville, North Carolina. Just 208 miles. Uh, there were 12 of us. We had three legs each to run. And it was just uh, straight through from early Friday morning to late Saturday afternoon um, through good weather and bad. Uh, we had a lot of a lot of, of rains uh, Friday night into Saturday. But um, it was an interesting experience, uh, to say the least. My running is not, uh, like I said before, it's not as strong as I'd like it to be. So I, was, I consider myself to be one of the slower runners. But um, yeah, it was a team effort, and we ended up beating our time a little bit. I think we came in a few minutes late, but we started an hour late, so if you average all that, we, we did really well. Um, we got a lot of a lot of uh, applause and that kind of thing from uh, from our fellow runners on, on other teams. When they found out through all the Parkinson's, they were just blown away. Um, but actually doing it, it was um, just focused on the running because they uh, – well, I know that for my runs, I was pretty pretty well exhausted, pushing as hard as I could, and uh, and just trying to get done. Once we finished, it was a great feeling. We had to hang out Saturday night and see the awards ceremony, get some food, and start planning our trips back home. And what what was the name of that team? That was Team Synapse. I think that's great. Yeah. So both of you are involved in extreme sports. One of the things that I think is most interesting, at least in my experience with Parkinson's, is I'm a I'm a racket and paddle person. So I play tennis, pickleball, ping pong badly. Uh, but what I find is walking across the street, um, tying my shoes before, before playing, you know, switching shoes, tying my shoes is more difficult for me than once I get onto the court and I'm engaged in a game and chasing a little ball around a court. Um, and I think about that as I think about uh, Tracy, you climbing a rock face or Greg, you doing the, the Spartan events and, and they're much more obstacle based. And I wonder if that's actually helpful for you in your movement. Do you find that to be true? I've noticed the same thing that you've noticed in terms of uh, having trouble getting started. Like when I'm putting around the house trying to get ready to go, pack my things, for example, uh, I might be moving at a really slow shuffle. All right, at the gym, I might be moving really slow until I get started. Once I get started running, for example, I can move a little bit better. And once I get on an obstacle, like if I'm going over a wall, um, I, can, I can get over pretty well. And then maybe go back to shuffling. Um, sometimes I'll run with a cane because I know I'm a longer run, especially that I can creep up. Uh, on this past, I guess the last Spartan race I did, the, the sprints back in March, Somebody asked me, do you really need that cane? I said, well, maybe yes, maybe no. It kind of depends because I'm, I'm in my 50s, worn out from yesterday's super. Um, I've got this broken leg that I'm recovering from, and I've got Parkinson's disease. So uh, there's a chance I can get through the whole race without needing it. There's a chance I won't, so I carry it with me. You just never can tell. But once I get going, it, it helps. How about you, Tracy? I find uh, 
An example I can think of is when I went to Montana in 2016, they actually have a high state high pointers convention. And I went solely for the purpose of finding a partner to climb Granite Peak. My wife went with me to make sure I found someone to go with me. And uh, I met this guy who was from Southern California. He's a, in his sixties and I looked at him like, boy, you're a little overweight, I was thinking. And he was looking at me thinking, boy, this guy's hardly moving. He's, and we were both concerned with the other one. And he was a great navigator and he could hike at a steady, he was like the tortoise that won the race. He's just kept at it. And uh, he mentioned, boy, you are a good boulder hopper. I am so amazed that you can go negotiate those boulder fields like you do. And I wanted to say, well, I'm amazed your navigation skills and I think I made him a compliment later but we, we made a good team and we were successful and Montana is one of the tougher ones. That's great that's a great lesson in don't judge a book by its cover right? <laughs> other people for us and then we still have those same judgments that we make on other people even though we've experienced them ourselves. So Trent wants to know uh, what's left on you guys's bucket list uh, what do you have left that you haven't tackled yet greg i'll let you go first yeah i've been thinking about a marathon for a good 10 years and i haven't quite made it yet so that's that's on my list um i've got a, a half marathon coming up in a couple of weeks here so uh more spartan races i've been doing the open categories which is uh kind of the easy version of the spartan race the less easy would be the age group and uh and the elite so i'm definitely not in elite status but I, my, one of my goals is to uh race in the age group and if you do that, then uh, the rules suddenly become enforced more strictly. Uh, so I've got to uh, work harder on my obstacles. I, if I get to the point where I can do all the obstacles, maybe not necessarily every time, but I can do them, uh, then I'll definitely want to do age group. Um, other than that, so age group for Spartan races and a, a marathon. I'd like to try Whitney again, because the one time I went, I didn't quite make it to the summit. I got to Iceberg Lake, if you know what that is, kind of the, the base of the last push. Um, other than those three things, anything that's uh, fun and interesting, like the uh, Blue Ridge Relay, I wasn't really looking for, but when it came away, I, I jumped on it. Um, anything fun. Gracie, what do you have left in the old bucket? Well, I've started uh, the last three things I would identify as remaining on my bucket list. Um, I've done all the county high points in Nevada, so there are 17 peaks that I've completed there. Utah has 29 counties. I've done 27 of them. I'd like to finish that list as one of my bucket items. And then uh, I'd like to finish the rest of the California coast on the bicycle. I've done from San Francisco to Mexico. You know, it'd be great to do Alaska Mount, is now called Denali, it used to be called Mount McKinley. And I don't know about that one. Everyone I know says, no, you're not doing that one that there would be a minimum three week uh high altitude very cold weather mountain expedition so you you had said that you don't want to be an inspiration i know that that was in the moment speaking you know when you just wanted to get the heck out of there but you are an inspiration how, how do you square that in your mind um, when you go out and do these things you know your family understands how difficult this is you know that there's at least somebody within your sphere that is taking some motivation from this does does that push you at all or 
Are you just so self-motivated that you're just doing this for you and you could really care less? I, I appreciate people commenting on me being an inspiration. That was in the moment, like you said. Um, I uh, spend a lot of time doing woodworking and yard projects and pour concrete and lay block. And uh, I appreciate the, the comments about, gee, even with Parkinson's, you're accomplishing a lot. And I, I enjoy the comments and the compliments I get on the work I accomplish. Uh, when COVID first hit, I was building a custom bench for my wife and I in, in, in our kitchen. And that turned out really well. I just recently finished a uh, arched door for my daughter and her husband in, in their home. And it, I, w I was thinking, I don't have the energy to do this anymore. And I looked online, it was $4,700 to get what my daughter wanted. So I built one from scratch and it turned out much better than I thought it would. And awesome. uh, it's, uh, People say you are an inspiration and I appreciate that. And I think maybe that's good for people that are getting bogged down with, with, it, with whatever they're dealing with to think, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. I have to tell you, Tracy, that one of the things that bothers me a little bit is when people say, you're doing great for someone with Parkinson's. Tracy, you're doing great, period. And yeah. Greg too, <laughs> you're doing great, period. So just take that for whatever it's worth. But also wondering about um, transitions from when you were diagnosed. I, everyone has a different experience with that. My personal story is that I pretty much cried every day for the first year and I'm not a crier um, before I could really kind of turn things around and dig back in. I never stopped what I was doing, but it was really, really difficult for me. Did you have any transitional period after your diagnosis or did you just dig your, dig your heels in and go forward? I thought my time is short. I saw how fast my dad deteriorated and I thought I got to get these things done. And my mom made the observation, your dad gave up. He just kind of quit doing things, but you are continuing to do things and that's making a big difference. So I've, uh, I've had that mindset. I remember being so sad one night, years before I was diagnosed about thinking, how Parkinson's had changed my dad's life and I would miss doing all those activities with him. And uh, I look back on when I was diagnosed and I thought, oh, I've got too much to do. I got to get it done. And that's been a good driver for me to stay active and not deteriorate as quickly. Motivation would like to thank our Brain Blast team sponsors. Thank you to the Kurt Gibson Foundation. And thank you to Label Daddy of Las Vegas. Well, I mean, I'll address a different question first. So there's a kind of a dichotomy between how I see myself and how others see me. And I've noticed that um, back before I started going to the gym, I, was, I just did a lot of walking. And sometimes I'd, I'd be walking along, leaning on my cane, and somebody would, like a, a car would pull over and somebody would lean out and say, are you okay? And I thought in my, in my mind, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I'm walking upright and everything's great. But in reality, I'm not walking upright. And it's just so bad that people were concerned. So then fast forward to today, um, you know, if I go to the gym to work out, in my mind, it's kind of the same thing that it was 30 years ago when I was young and healthy. I'm just working out. 
but uh, other people see it differently. So when I hear people say, wow, you're really inspiring me, or you're my hero, I think, I don't, I don't get that. I try to try to figure it out. And of course, the difference is that we see, I see myself differently from the way they see me. So in my mind, I'm just, uh, I'm just going to the gym, just working out, or just going to a Spartan race, or just going on a hike. But other people don't see just a, a regular person doing those things. They see a person with Parkinson's doing those things, a person with, maybe they don't know what my diagnosis is, but they know that I'm having trouble moving. So I guess there's a, you know, a mental difference there. But uh, getting back to your question about how I, I guess, reacted to my diagnosis, it was really surreal. Um, so it took me better part of a year to come to grips with it. You know, it ultimately became like at the gym, for example, if you're, if you're overweight or if you're clumsy or if you're weak, it's just a, something you have to deal with and work on. So this is just another thing that I have to deal with uh, to get to my goal, which is to uh, go to the gym and do these things that I like to do. It's, uh, now, now you guys have to have tough days, right? And this is from Mike Q. Um, wh- what do you guys do to work through those tough days? Um, do they stop you in your tracks? Do you just lay in bed? What do you do? Sometimes they stop me. So I know there have been a lot of days, a lot, a lot of days where I just thought, I feel like crap, I don't want to do this. Um, and I'd say nine out of 10 times I'd do it anyway. Every single time I'm happy that I did. The one out of 10 that I don't do it, I just feel so miserable that I skip the gym or whatever, stay home, take a nap. Um, but I try not to do that because I know that if I move, it's going to get better. Funny you say go, just go to bed. Um, I have a harder time sleeping through the night now. I don't know if it's my medications, the Parkinson's or both. But uh, I push through a lot of things. But sometimes when I'm feeling really down, I can take a 20-minute nap and then get back up and go after things. And that makes the biggest difference. And I think that's probably because I don't get enough sleep. And uh, sometimes you just got to take time to take a nap. My biggest challenge when I get involved in a project or something is keeping my beds on the right schedule. So that can make a big difference. Do you ever take naps going up the mountain? I have. Not very often, but I have. Imagine wanting to do that about halfway up, stop, take a nap. Jim, you'd probably eat some pie, right? (laughs) Stop and have a little pie break. So, Greg, uh, tell me a little bit about your your younger years. Have you you always been an athlete? I was not the the traditional athlete, like in in high school, for example. Uh, In high school, I started off my freshman year at maybe 100, 105 pounds. I was on the wrestling team and I threw discus. And then that's pretty much it for, uh, for all my high school years. I was more of a, uh, you know, an honor student. Um, didn't really think I had a chance at, uh, at sports because I was so small compared to the other guys. And a lot of them had been doing sports, uh, like football players have been playing since they were six years old. And I thought, if I get out on the field, I'm going to get crushed. Looking back, um, I was actually fairly athletic. I probably could have done any of the sports and, and done reasonably well. But, um, but I was athletic in terms of doing my own thing, uh, running, uh, getting involved in martial arts, uh, going water skiing, you name it. Um, and that kind of built through my high school and college years. Uh, in college, I started doing a lot of hiking. So I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. The mountains were fairly close. Um, in the Navy, I got, I got to uh, go to different places, do different hikes. Um, Post-Navy was, uh, like I said before, softball and soccer for the most part. Uh, a lot more running. I was actually going to the gym and teaching a class for a year or two. Uh, but then, you know, when I had kids, we started uh, 
I start, I stopped going to do quite some of these things. And then uh, after a few years, uh, I realized that I was getting kind of weak and, and it was getting harder to move, that kind of thing. And part of that was the onset of Parkinson's, which I didn't know about. The other part of it was just that I wasn't working out like I used to. So I was trying to get back into it um, and, and, and run more when I got my first symptoms and later on the diagnosis. Um, so I've always been fairly, not really an athlete, but fairly athletic. Yeah. What, what do you think the, uh, the wrestling, your experience in wrestling did for you in terms of uh, endurance and knowing how to push through uncomfortable situations? It gave me a really good um, feel or understanding for, for, I suddenly knew what I didn't know because before that, I, I, I just didn't know what was out there, what I was missing. That the, when you're on the wrestling team, maybe see that there are a lot of guys working really hard, developing some really good skills. And, uh, and to show me that if you wanted to, well, no matter what you want to accomplish, it doesn't have to be wrestling. You have to work hard to get there. And if, if you do put in that work, it, it pays off. Absolutely. Tracy, what about you? When you were, uh, when you were a young, young guy, were you captain of the football team? No, I was a weekend warrior with water ski and snow ski and whitewater raft. And I, uh, I played intramural basketball in college. But um, I think back on the different things I've done activity-wise and uh, what I'm doing now. And an old high school friend invites me uh, to water ski once a week during the summer he doesn't have a truck to pull his boat and i have a truck to pull his boat but we'll get out on the lake and he'll say want to go again and i'll say no nah. he says no you need to go again it's good therapy so i'll go again and then he'll introduce me to the new wakeboard that doesn't have any footholds it's just like a surfboard and it'll take me 12 times to get up but he'll say hey you do that better than someone without parkinson's you know, it's kind of like Kim referred to it earlier. Is that a compliment or? Well, and for people who haven't water skied, that is hard work. <laughs> that's, man, that's tough on your body. So I think 15 minutes of water skiing equates to maybe two hours of hiking for me. <laughs> I, can re I can relate to that. Now with skiing, is that it, the taller you are, the harder it is, right? How tall are you? I'm six foot six. Six, six. So that's even more difficult to get up and out of the water. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at you. You're a tall guy. A slalom ski that my dad had that's just got a wide tail on the back. And he's got a good uh, Mastercraft ski boat from the 80s. But we're old school, but we're, we're still doing it. What do you do for recovery? I don't know about you, but I've found that that's a difficult aspect that I've, that I've had to deal with, especially in the last couple of years that I used to be able to jump from one thing to another, but now I really need to take some time and, and let my body recover. What's your process for recovery from the big events that you do, both of you? I, uh, I just go back to one of my home projects and let the muscles feel better and I nap more. Yeah. I, I take a nap almost every day for about 20 to 60 minutes. I definitely concur on the naps. Uh, I don't sleep well either. I might get anywhere from one to four hours a night. Uh, so I'm usually tired in the day and I'll take a nap. As far as the recovery goes, um, that's something I don't pay enough attention to. And there are a lot of times when uh, I hit this, I can tell them I've been overtraining and uh, not recovered enough. And I just uh, maybe take a day off. But um, a long time ago, I realized that if I, 
if I go to, let's say I'm doing push-ups in the gym or on my own. If I do push-ups and I can't do, if I can't do any more, then that's great. But if I do that uh, like three or four or, four or five times in one day, the next day I might be sore. But then after doing that enough times, um, I can I can go until I drop without being sore the next day, if that makes sense. So I like to go to uh, go to the point where I just can't go any further at the gym and, uh, and, and get to the point where I can do that without being sore the next day. Does that, does that make sense? Well, one other thing that I do that I need to do more of, and my sister who's a physical therapist reminds me of this, is to do stretches before and after my activities. That when I biked uh, 300 miles down the coast of California, I had my sister's husband with me and he kept doing it because she was reminding him they were in vehicles, we were on bikes. And uh, I don't do enough of that, but when I do it, it makes a difference in recovery. You know, stretching is such a great thing and it makes a difference and it helps every time we do it, I think, before and after. But yes, it's so hard to make ourselves do it. Why is that? <laughs> I, I just think I don't have time to do that now. I'll do it later. And then later is always too, too, too long after. Yeah. You want to get right to the fun stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, I found that if I don't do it right away, I'll, uh, I'll not do it at all. I got a question uh, from Trent in the group. He's asking if if you've thought about documenting uh, either book or blog or or anything your uh, stories of your climbs, races, uh, et cetera, and how you adapted to be able to compete in those uh, living with Parkinson's. I have thought about the book, not necessarily on that particularly, but. Uh... I, I, I write notes you know, to myself every now and then. And I've got tw probably 20 years worth of those. Um, obviously not all, all about Parkinson's, but uh, yeah, I've thought about it. Um, when I think about like a blog, this is kind of a, a non sequitur, but I think packaging fails. Because sometimes I'll get a, a package from Amazon or whatever, or maybe just going down the road to, to, to the store. And sometimes it's really hard to get into. And that definitely touches on Parkinson's. So if it's the kind of thing where I can just open it up with no tools, it's great. If tools are required, I think, what are they doing? It's going to be so much harder um, than, than it needs to be, especially with uh, a little trimmer going on and some, some poor coordination, uh, lack of fine motor control. I want to say, well, why can't you make this easier? Um, but yeah, I can see doing the uh, documentation of races and other activities. Um, I've done some write-ups on like my Wyoming trip, and people have really enjoyed reading them. But it takes me so long to type them up. It's funny you mentioned that. Just yesterday, I was exploring what I had on my computer, and I found my voice recognition to text program. And uh, I'm going to use that more. I started using it last night, and I thought, man, these email replies are going a lot faster now. <laughs> and uh, I knew about that years ago when I was wrapping up my career in the workplace. They got me a program, but they're so much better now. I yeah. I knew they had, I use my phone one all the time, but now that I found this one on the desktop, I'm gonna use it more. I met a guy from Australia who's written a book about his life. He was in Vietnam, uh, uh, Indonesia, Europe, uh, had all kinds of adventures, did everything from driving a, a truck with uh, dynamite in it and 
some country in Africa, and uh, he's he's close to ninety, like I say, and he keeps saying you ought to write a book, Tracy, because he's always asking me what I'm up to, and I think that would take so long, and I got too much to do to answer your question. That I I've thought about it, and I've done a little bit of it. I think there would be people that would benefit from both of you uh, being able to hear those stories and and find inspiration or just find enjoyment in, in, in hearing uh, the adventure. Yeah, I'm really sure my writings, but I did put something on Facebook uh, a week, last week or two, I think about uh, the night I broke my leg and I went into great detail and I did get some some surprising feedback. People saying that it was, it was a good read. Uh, one guy in particular said I should write a book. So the, the thoughts out there, uh, it's kind of in the back of my mind, but you know how it is with Parkinson's. You, yeah. you have a good idea and get, get really apathetic about it. Just think, yeah, maybe, maybe someday. The Motivation Station. So, guys, we're we're winding down that uh, that hour mark, and I want to open this up now for our community to go ahead and ask away the questions that have been on their minds that they haven't typed in. So, any of you guys now, if you'd like, just go ahead and raise your hand, unmute, and let's shoot some questions at Tracy and Greg. Go ahead, Trent. Hey, hey guys, um, I was just curious that, you know, with climbing in particular, there's probably always, no matter who you are, a fear factor. And I was just wondering if sort of post-PD, you kind of experienced fear in climbing, which you thought in that situation or circumstance may not have been a factor pre-PD. I found that uh, prior to having Parkinson's, I would get to a point on a climb where, where you'd get what's called sewing machine leg, where the old foot goes up and down like an old treadle sewing machine. And uh, I learned from others at that time, you point your toe as hard as you can and it goes away. I'm, I'm able to stop or control that tremor when it occurs in a climbing situation, but I'm, I'm more cognizant of, of of what I'll take on versus what I used to take on. Go ahead, Mike. You gentlemen, where, where do you get your inspiration from? I just I enjoy the rush of accomplishing things like a difficult peak or rock outcropping. It just some people I don't think understand that. Um, my mother-in-law says, "Why do you climb so many mountains?" What do, what do you do when you get to the top? And I sarcastically said, well, I usually take a leak, but um, they just don't understand why, why that drives us. And I, I accept people are different. And I'm married to someone who, when the, we go stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, she says, isn't that beautiful, kids? Now, you can see it all from here. There's no need to go down there, is there? And she'll say that. Well, the sideways plans at me because she knows what I'm thinking while I'm looking down in the canyon. I think Miley Cyrus wrote a song that answers that question, right? It's, it's the climb. Climb. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Greg? I know there are, uh, I, I used to just do it for fun, but uh, there have been times when I've been on Mount Charleston, for example, and just stopped to look at the scenery and think, this is, this is beautiful. I feel so alive and I'm really glad I'm here. And, uh, while I'm out there, whether it's a hike or a run or a race or whatever, 
I see other people uh, doing like hiking way faster than me, running faster than me. I think, wow, those guys are really amazing, uh, inspiring. So it's not that I'm out there because of them. It's that uh, I, I do know someone I'm out there. Uh, and like when I went to uh, Mount Whitney, even though I didn't make it to the summit, I was really impressed by the people who did, and uh, happy for them. And and hopefully I can uh, uh, not really mimic them, but uh, copy them someday and get there myself. Paul Clough, did you have a question, my friend? I did. So, Greg, Greg, I'm a huge person in being saying physically active. I mean, and I kick, push myself very, very hard. I want to know what you do for the Spartan race. What do you? What kind of training do you do for? Because I would love, love to do a Spartan race. Love this. Yeah. What kind of training do you do? When I uh, when I first got invited, it was for some people at the gym, and they were doing a sprint. So uh, at the time, uh, I had never really done anything specifically to, to prepare for Spartan race. And what I learned is that um, I didn't really need to for the sprint. So there are some some obstacles that I couldn't do. Um, and, and once I learned about those, then I thought, okay, I, can, I need to work on my, my pull-ups, for example. Um, you can always work on your running, always going to be faster. But the, the, sp the sprint was fairly easy to finish. So then I thought, as much fun as that was, I should do uh, a super. And that was beyond my capability, and, and the beast also. So I had a really hard time with the super. I realized that I had to work on my endurance a lot. Um, and then the beast was just more of the same. So running is probably the number one thing that you can do. Uh, if you can run a half marathon, you're in you're in really good position to do the rest. And uh, as far as the obstacles go, pull-ups are great. And if you have uh, a gym where you can do anything with, from jumping over a wall to um, swinging from rings or monkey bars, uh, that's, that's good stuff too. Carrying heavy weights, like there's a, a bucket carry. Yeah, I went down to Lowe's or Home Depot and just bought a bucket and filled it up with uh, asphalt. So it only got to 40 pounds. It probably should be at least 60. Uh, but throw something heavy on your on your shoulder and, and carry it or carry it in front of you. Um, same thing with the sandbag. Uh, find something heavy to drag. Uh, work on your grip strength. So maybe just do a, a farmer's carry. Just mm -hmm. see how long you can stand with, with a couple of kettlebells and, uh, until your, your forearms get worn out. That, that's the kind of thing that's, uh, that's helping me to, to last longer. So there are some obstacles where if I, if I do it fresh, I can do it. But if they put it after three or four other obstacles that use the same muscles, yeah. I fail every time. So that, that endurance is key. Yeah, Paul, you'd be fine because the, the penalty if you don't complete an obstacle is just burpees. That's sort of changed. So the last couple of races I went to, instead of burpees, they do a, a penalty loop. So you just do a little bit more uh, running or walking, whichever. Huh. Um, it doesn't wear yeah. me out quite as much as the burpees do. <laughs> yeah, burpees is not a yeah. I'm obsessed with burpees, obsessed with them. So thank so you for the answer. I appreciate that. Great person to do a, a Spartan race. Darby, go ahead. Tracy, well, I guess this question is for both of you. Um, but I'm sure being out there isolated in the wilderness, you've encountered some scary situation. Have you ever been presented with a wild animal or something like that that you could um that you could share and how you got out of that situation? Well, when I was uh, in Idaho one winter in the mountains, cross-country skiing, we came to a windblown ridge where there was a moose. And uh, I thought, oh, this is cool. I'll get some pictures of it. And it started coming closer. And I'm thinking, oh, I can get better, closer up pictures. And it was had its head down and it was kind of snaking back and forth towards us. And all of a sudden, it pawed the ground and it charged us. And my friend had his ski poles out and whacked it across the nose and said, Bouts, put the camera away. We're getting the hell out of here. And I said, you don't need to tell me twice. And 
later, when I came across moose in the backcountry, I knew from that first experience how dangerous they could be. And uh, I've seen cougars in, in hiking. I've seen bears signs in the backcountry. Never come across a bear, thankfully, but I have the bear spray when I'm in bear country. And uh, several other animals, but when you're in the car, you always feel safer and you, they don't, they're not as memorable those when you're out on your feet and more vulnerable. I've been uh, hiking the Smoky Mountains and seen black bear uh, twice and uh, neither time was, was a big deal. They just kind of looked at me and went back to what they're doing, digging for food or roots or whatever. Um, so other than that, I can't think of any time when I've encountered wildlife that was any kind of threat. Any kind of threat. Some of the things I've encountered that were, I guess, the scariest are just the dogs. Not out in the wilderness, but here in town, they go for running the street. Um, sometimes the dogs that are off leash, or, uh, they're free to do so, will come after me. Nothing like, like a moose that would scare me. Who do you gentlemen look up to? Let's say from a, from a Parkinson's point of view and from an uh, athletic point of view, Jimmy Choi, hands down. That dude is, uh, is, is a great role model. Shout out, Jimmy Choi. How about you, Tracy? Boy, I can think of a lot. Um, boy, you know, I one thing we share in common, uh, Nathan, is we, uh, you stuck with it. I got to be a second degree blue in Kung Sudo karate. And I got to meet Chuck Norris. In fact, because of my, my height and my skinny nature, I think he picked me out of the class he taught us to, uh, he said, throw a punch at me, Tracy. And I threw a punch and before I knew it, I was on my back, uh, he'd flip me. So I can claim I've been flipped by Chuck Norris. Awesome. For those people listening, that belt rank he just described is a black belt candidate. So that's a very high rank. Well, I, I should have stuck with it, but I, I've been involved in so many other things. I, there's professional athletes I admire, but I guess one of the first people I really admired was, uh, oh, and I forget his name. He's from Italy. He's done the 14 highest summits in the world and he's done them all without oxygen. Um, wow. but that's part of Parkinson's is I forget names more than I used to. Yeah, that happens. It's old age. So are we going to uh, see any crazy feats out of you guys? Is there something that you guys have planned that you... Uh, hey, it was, it was, Nate, was the name Enzo Simone? Hey, there you go. Enzo Simone. Does that sound good, Tracy? No. Um, uh, I'll think of it here in a second. I'll blurt it out when we're off on another subject. It's all right. Hey, Jim, I want you in this uh, conversation. Come up with a good question for these guys. Your voice, uh... your voice needs to be in this interview. Yeah, so that's what you realize is you never know who who you can inspire, and even if you, even if it's only one person. I mean, I, I listened to Jimmy Choi tell his story, and he was on a plane, and he read, read he read a pamphlet, and and look what that snowballed into. So not you know, you say who do you admire? Who do you compete against? You you know. I like to say I don't compete against anybody. I compete against myself. You know, it's you against Parkinson's. You know, I was a former power lifter, and it was really a pretty simple sport. But that's that's a that's a beauty of it because you know what you're capable of. You know what you can do, and you know, 
I live in Chicago where Jimmy Choi lives and Bill Buckley lives. And I'm trying something to try and compare myself to them. And I come up way, way short, but that's not it. I mean, you're, you're competing against yourself. You're competing against the disease and you're lucky to inspire. Just one person makes it all worthwhile. I want to, you know, I guess the common thing we have all amongst us is, is we don't give up. We just, we just keep grinding away. And I guess that, that that's a common theme. And I want to thank these guys for exhibiting that trait and letting them know that there's worthwhile stuff to be accomplished out there by just having that simple attitude. Well, you came in late, Jim, but you wrapped up the entire thing solidly. It's like you, you got the complete context of the entire conversation. And I think that these guys have uh, have that exact mentality that you're talking about. Uh, it's it's me versus Parkinson's. And Tracy, you 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 definitely could speak to that, right? Yes, um, that's that's what uh, is in in my mind and most of my activities is I'm not competing against other people. I'm competing against a disease that's trying to slow me down, and I'm not trying to I'm trying to not let it. Those other people are there, though, right, Greg? It's it's sometimes fun yeah. to pass people in a race, ain't it? I do pass a few. Uh, I'm usually kind of in the middle of the pack. I'm, I'm not the first by far, but I'm never the last. And back uh, to Jim's point, that doesn't matter, right? No, it's it just the activity. I try to do better just to uh, improve myself. Greg, could you expound a little bit? I know I met you briefly at the Michael J. Fox event. You're all part of a team, Team Synapse. If you could articulate a little bit on, on the power of that team and just bringing those people together and drawing off their different strengths and characteristics and and and, 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 and sort of how like getting off your butt and taking that challenge and getting involved and, and how that helped your life and, and and to get to that horrible incident where you, where you broke your leg and yeah that was not a good time so uh, the the run, I've mentioned before that I'm usually uh, one of the slower runners. And that was certainly the case with the Blue Ridge Relay team, Team Synapse. Uh, some of the folks on that team, men and women both, uh, have run many, many marathons all over the world. Uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, impressive. And, and I'm honored to be part of the team. But, um, you know, if, if they can, if I can see them running the way they do and uh, try to take the pain a little bit longer and run a little bit better myself, maybe push the fat marathon, marathon someday, <clears throat> excuse me, then uh, that'd be great. But, uh, I'm just privileged and honored to be part of that team. <laughs> All right, guys, this was this was awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming and sharing your story with us. Is there anything that you guys uh, wanted to say one, one last little bit before we go? Anything that you wanted to include in here? I just want to say this is a good thing, these podcasts. I've thought as I've been participating and preparing for it, I know three friends that uh, I haven't get, gotten them involved in motivation yet even though i've invited them they haven't accepted but i'm going to send them a link to this podcast uh one of them uh has parkinson's i met through the high pointers club and he wanted to climb mount whitney as his last 48 state and he contacted me and we did the mountaineers route which is interesting and tougher but uh that was before we had both been diagnosed. And then uh, we met up two years later and uh, had lunch here in Henderson out by Vegas. And uh, he said, how's your health? And I said, oh, I'm dealing with Parkinson's. And he said, me too. And we compared notes and we'd been diagnosed about the same exact time. 
So uh, I'm going to spread the word about this podcast. And Well, thank you. And uh, to those friends that are listening, um, we're on you and you better join us. <laughs> Greg, I want to give you the last word. Before I got uh, diagnosed, I was skiing. I was just doing some uh, easy snow skiing with my kids at, uh, at Lee Canyon. And uh, they were doing the lessons and I was just going up to Bluebird and going back down. Had some really good runs. But then after having an exceptionally good run, I went back up and went down again. And I could turn to the left. I could not turn back to the right. And I thought, <laughs> this is the weirdest thing. So um, I got down by, like, I'd, I'd take this broad turn to the left until I couldn't go anymore. And I'd stop and just kind of step, 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 turn, turn my whole body, point to the right, and go another, another big, broad turn to the left. And I did that a few times until I got down to the bottom. And I thought, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't ski like this. I don't want to be a hazard on the mountain. So I haven't skied since then. Um, I can so relate, Greg. I went to Brian Head in April this year, and I thought that was one of the best ski days of my life, and it's probably the last one because I got to that same point where I could only turn from one side. Yeah. I think with the the, the pills that I'm taking now that I wasn't taking back then, I could probably do it, but I would not want to try it in a crowd, and I don't know that I'll ever get the whole slip myself, but uh, I would like to ski again someday. Become a, Nate, a race car driver like Ned where all you have to do is turn left. You know, there's a, a Speed Vegas here in town, uh, mm-hmm. just south of Las, of Las Vegas. Um, I went and drove three of their cars. It was a lot of fun. It's not all left turns because it's a kind of a it's traffic back and forth, but it's a lot of fun. We need to get together, Greg, and get in some trouble together. Absolutely. You have been listening to The Motivation Station. Thanks again for tuning in and go find us at motivationfoundation.org. Again, motivationfoundation.org.